0: This morning, we're going to start a new series I've called March to the Cross. For this particular message, I feel like I need to throw out a little warning, if you will, or kind of a, a uh, spoiler alert, or I don't, know, I don't even know what to call it. But you know those movies where the first five minutes of the movie is like the complete action scene? It's really the end of the movie, and then it gets to a point, and like the main character is like, and they stop it, and then they take it all the way back to how things really started. That's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to share scripture with you here in just a moment, and what I'm going to share with you at the beginning is really the ending, and then we're going to go back and look at how it all started and how we got to the ending, which is the beginning. Does that make sense? Good. I felt the same way, but it's just how this all came about in my brain, and so at least we're all on the same page. I just didn't want you to think I'd lost my mind and didn't understand how scripture works because we... We're starting one place and we're going to jump back, but it, it, it will make sense when we get to the end of it, I promise. And so we're starting this new series, um, uh, Resurrection Sunday is just around the corner, and it's March, and so we're starting this series called March to the Cross, and we're going to look really closely at some of the details concerning Jesus and his final days before his crucifixion. And today, we're going to start off by talking about the triumphal entry, but we're going to look at it from the point of view of the disciples and the crowd, Okay. Uh, which is why we're going to have to go backwards a little bit in Scripture once we read about the triumphal entry to kind of put things into perspective. And as we, as we continue on that in the march to the cross, we're going to look at what I call a couple different things in the coming weeks. We're going to look at the lasting example um, of Jesus where, where he washes his disciples' feet. Then we're gonna sh- uh, we'll share a meal to remember, and we're going to focus on the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples leading into the Lord's Supper. We're going to witness how Jesus was alone in the garden and the agony and the suffering that he went through. After that, we're going to have a a series, just a a standalone sermon that I call A Conversation with Peter. And I'm I'm really excited about that one in particular. And as we go into April, so you're getting like the whole spoiler alert for what's coming like the next six weeks. So as we go into April, I'm going to do a study on lambs because I think it's important to know the uh, just the, the whole concept of what's happening there. And then, where I'm excited about this, write this down. On Good Friday, you can put this in your phone, on your calendar. We're going to have our first ever Good Friday service, um, and we're calling it Shadow to the Cross. And we're going to look at the things that Jesus endured during his final days before his crucifixion. And so it's going to be a different Good Friday kind of service. Uh, and then, of course, we will celebrate the resurrection of Christ on April 12th. So. As you can see, we've got a great lineup for the next six weeks. I hope you'll continue to come back and, and see how the story unfolds. And my hope is that you will join us as we take a different look at some of the events that maybe have become commonplace or just something that we're kind of used to or that we've always just talked about during this spring season. And so that's, that's my prayer. And speaking of prayer, will you pray with me now? Father God, I thank you uh, that we can, uh, again, come here this morning and, and look at your word that we can use your word to examine our lives, that we can look at your word um, as the litmus test for for how we are doing what we're doing, that we can uh, examine your word to see the examples that have been set before us, and then ultimately we can reflect uh, your word in in our community and in our lives. So I just pray that as we do that this morning, um, that you you will change us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to talk about today is actually uh, found in all four of the gospel. mess found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and, and you can find and study this story in particular. We're going to look at John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. That's the part of the triumphal entry that we're going to look at. But you can look in, if you're taking notes, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Mark 11, 1 through 11, Luke 19, 28 through 44. All four of these will parallel one another. With, with kind of a little bit of a different view on each one. And, but the text we're going to look at this morning is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Uh, we'll also look at some other verses from John as, as we get into what we call the triumphal entry of Christ. And so here we go with uh, John 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it, uh, and just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him or that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him." My first thought when I think about this story is always about the disciples going to get the donkeys. Jesus is going to ride this colt into Jerusalem, and I, I have questions about that. He tells them to go and get the don- Do they steal the donkeys? I say donkeys because typically you're not going to take a donkey colt away from its mother, okay? They're very protective in the animal world, and, and it won't happen willingly. And, and so they go and get the donkeys. What did the owner say about that? Did, he even, did they even have conversation? Is this like just taking someone's car? You know, we're just, I'm borrowing it. We'll bring it back. But then I realized I, I was getting distracted with the donkeys, and there's actually a lot more to the story than the donkeys because it doesn't begin with the disciples getting the donkeys. It, it actually starts way before that. So this is where we're going to back up a few verses in John, um, and we're going to find that Jesus, we're actually going to go back to John chapter 11, and we're going to find that, that Jesus is having dinner, at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, and this is a few months after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And we learn from this passage that the crowds headed to the Passover were following Jesus because they'd heard about Lazarus coming back to life, okay? And, and I think most of us are familiar with this story. It's in John uh, chapter 11, verses 12 through 45, and I'm going to kind of story that, I'm going to summarize that, and then we're going to look at uh, verses 45 through 57. So basically what happens is Jesus' friend Lazarus is is dying. And they sent word to Jesus and said, Come, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus waited a couple more days. And while he waited before he went to Lazarus, Lazarus passes away. And uh, so Lazarus has now been been wrapped in cloth and he's been put into the tomb and the, the time of mourning begins. And Jesus and the disciples come and as he gets there, Lazarus' sisters are, are like, If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, Hey, don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life? And they said, Yes, we know you are. And he said, Okay. And they have some conversations. Um, and, and he shares some things with them. And, and they, they have some private conversations, they have some public conversations. And, and ultimately, though, Jesus says to them, Hey, where is Lazarus? And they said, he's, he's in the tomb. And so they went over there. And all these people are following, okay? And, and they're in front of the tomb. And Jesus says, Remove, remove the, the rocks at the front of the tomb. And his sister said, "Hey, the Lord, there's, he's been there a few days. It's going to be starting to smell." And Jesus said, "I know." And he gives, he says a prayer, he thanks God, and then they they move the rocks out, and he calls Lazarus. He says, "Come forth." And the Bible says the dead man walked out, and Jesus said, "Take the cloths off of him." And, and so here's Lazarus, his friend, who who Jesus called from the grave. And now we need to keep all these things in mind. As we lead up to the triumphal entry. So Jesus shows up, and, and it this this wasn't, funerals were different back then. Times of mourning lasted longer than, than kind of how we do things in today's culture. And, and there were actually even people who would, uh, just in the community, would come alongside you, and they would mourn for you. Some of them would even wail kind of professionally, like your family might even pay them to come and cry for you at your funeral. This was a real thing. Um, and, and so... It was just there was a lot of people around, and Jesus brings this man back to life. And now we're going to come into John chapter 11, verse 45, and here's what it says. Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, meaning they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they believed in him. And then here's this word that always gets us in trouble. But, I don't want to talk about them, but, I don't, want to do the right thing but some of them believed but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done I kind of would like to know that story they go to the religious leaders and they go hey you know this guy Jesus yeah yeah hey, you know what he did he raised a man from the dead can you believe that what the audacity bring a man back from the dead hey you know this guy Jesus I watched him heal somebody. Yeah, healed them. No more leprosy. How dare he? What, I don't know. I, th- I think it would have been cool. Hey, you know what he did? Yeah, isn't that great? And they were angry. So the, the chief priests and the Pharisees have a convened a council. And this is what they're saying. What are we doing? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. I laugh because it's like, yeah, that's God's plan. (laughs) He's going to do these signs. All men are going to believe. And they're like, oh, if we allow him to do this, all men are going to believe. But that didn't even bother him half as much as this next statement. Look at this. They say, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They weren't even concerned with lost people, they weren't even concerned. with with these people who were dying. They weren't concerned with these people who were sick. They weren't concerned with people who had a need. They were concerned at losing their place in culture and in society. They were concerned about losing their nation. They forgot who they served. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. And at this point, I'm thinking, yeah, the voice of reason, except it wasn't. Nor do you take into account that it is is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. See, I thought Caiaphas was going to come in and say, hey, y'all just calm down. But no, instead, he institutes the thought of we're going to kill Jesus. didn't say this on his own initiative, but because he was high priest, he had prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. From that day on, they planned together to kill him. It's like, wow. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews. But he went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. And he would come into verse 55. It says, now the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus. They were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. So they're planning, and again, keep all this in mind as we get ready to roll into the triumphal entry. We kind of have a holding place there as, as they're entering Jerusalem. They're planning Jesus' death. They're, they're getting everybody involved. This event, this raising Lazarus from the dead, coupled with the fact that Jesus is now on Jerusalem's most wanted list, was one of the reasons for the energy that the crowd that followed Jesus had into Jerusalem. And and so that brings to the next question I have is, was the triumphal entry really all that triumphal? Because you kind of, at first you think it is, but the disciples, they don't want Jesus to go. They don't want him to go to Jerusalem. Now stay out here in the wilderness with us, don't don't go do that they're already concerned just to, to say the least and before you think i'm missing something i want you to understand that i i know we call jesus's entry triumphal be, because he is our king and because that's part of the good news that he came and he endured that and, and he did all that but but in that moment it would be and also we know the whole story kind of thing but but to the disciples they they didn't quite get everything that was playing out their hearts were heavy that day think about what i read just now in John chapter 11. Even even to the people that were there on that day, Jesus' entrance looked pretty sad. Because, see, think about this. In Jerusalem, many people would have seen this act. Um, eh, there was examples of it before in Roman triumph, okay? And, and, and that's what they would see, that someone riding in like that. And, and instead, they see that they're getting their Messiah, their Savior King. They're not seeing it that way. This act of riding in on a donkey was a celebration of a war hero returning From victory. This particular type of celebration would have been amazing. There would have been beautiful horses and chariots and people dancing and singing, shouting, Man of Triumph, as the hero would ride through the streets. A real triumphal entry to the people of this day. It wasn't a Bible story, it was a political and military conquest. It was a true celebration of conquering an enemy. So I want to pause here for a second and go back to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. All right? So if you're taking notes, that's where we've gone. We've gone from John chapter 12, at the end of John chapter 12, to John chapter 11, and now back to the beginning of John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And here it is. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. He's at their house with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They made a supper for him there. Martha was serving, because that's what Martha does, all right? Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him which means that he was alive and well okay he was there at the table having this meal a lot of witnesses people are seeing that this really happened Mary Lazarus' sister then took a pound of very costly perfume nard pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said this. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this. It's one of the things I love about John's gospel. John is like Jesus' best friend, and he's writing about these events. And, and John, he's kind of spilling the tea, as the young kids would say these days. That means he's, he's kind of on that verge of gossiping a little bit. But he, he calls Judas out. He said, he didn't say this because he was concerned about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. He helped himself to the money box. He used to pilfer what he what was put into it. He said, that was, that's where his heart was. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that He was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. He didn't even do anything wrong. He was peaceful. Jesus called him out, and they said, oh, we're going to kill Jesus. We're going to put Lazarus to death. Because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and we're believing in Jesus. Now, let's contrast this whole idea and all these things. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. You essentially have a, a community of, of poor people because we know who wasn't there. The Pharisees weren't there. The, the, the leaders of the community weren't there. The people with money, so to speak, weren't there. So you have the common folks waving palm branches at a man on a donkey And the triumphal entry begins to look a little bit different to me. Jesus, indeed, is coming into Jerusalem as a king, but he's not coming in to conquer the city. He's coming as a humble king. He's prepared to give his life as a ransom for many. And he rides a donkey, not as a symbol of conquest or or a symbol of how great he is, but as a symbol of peace. He rides into the city not to threaten the Romans with his power. He rides into the city to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy and to be the king that saves the lives of people like you and me with his love for us. And that thought is a great lead into my final idea. And here it is. The triumphal entry isn't about Jesus being a king. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is not just a story of Jesus being the king. If, if you take a minute, if you stop and think about that point, Jesus, he, he's not even presenting himself as royalty. He's, he doesn't have a robe on. He doesn't have a crown. He doesn't have a shield. He doesn't have any of the things that would, he doesn't look kingly. He doesn't look knightly. He doesn't look anything like that. He just, he's presenting himself in a rather peasantish way, if you will, on a donkey. The story of Jesus' triumphal entry is about Jesus being a different kind of king. Jesus wasn't interested in taking over Jerusalem or Rome like the crowds wanted him to do. No, that's way too small for my Jesus. Jesus wasn't even interested in showing his power in this time. After all, he could have called down thousands of angels in the blink of an eye to take care of his enemies and prevent the agony of his trial and his beating and his crucifixion. But he didn't. Because the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem teaches us that the King of Glory left heaven and came to earth. He humbled himself. He became a servant king so that we might live with him forever. And the cost of doing that was what we learn about during the week that we call the Passion Week. And because of what our God was willing to do, we will celebrate this on Resurrection Sunday that our Savior triumphed over death. So you just got the final spoiler alert for the next six weeks, but that doesn't mean you don't get to keep coming. All right? He triumphed over death. I want to encourage you to read through all of these accounts of the triumphal entry because we need to understand that the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem doesn't have to just be the same old story that we've been telling our kids since they were little. In fact, it's, it's foundational in why we believe what we believe. This journey into Jerusalem where they shouted Hosanna, where they waved palm branches, where they celebrated Jesus was misguided at best. See, on on this, this time of visitation, if you will, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into this town. These same people who are shouting Hosanna, calling him king, claiming to love him, by the end of the week will say, we have no king except Caesar. These same people will shout, free Barabbas. These same people who are saying Hosanna on one day, at the end of the week will say, let this decision be on our heads and on our children's heads. Some of them will even join the soldiers in spitting on Jesus and calling him names and mocking him every step of the way as he marches to the cross. And so when I think about the story of the triumphal entry and how it took place, I can't help but think that the donkey was the most compliant one in the whole story. Maybe we should be more like the donkey. Listen, every person in that story, every person on that street had something going on in their life. Just like every person in this room has something going on in their life. Some of the people there were no doubt healed by Jesus at some point. Some of the people there were touched by Jesus in some way. And a majority of those same people, by the end of the week, turned their backs on him with just a few, within just a few days, including some of his closest friends. And he still rode through Jerusalem on what we call the triumphal entry, knowing that Judas would betray him, knowing that Peter would deny him, knowing that the others would scatter at his arrest and his crucifixion, knowing that the crowd would shout, crucify him, the same crowd shouting Hosanna, knowing they would soon shout, crucify him. There's something else that he knew on that day, though. He knew that he would be triumphant over death and sin. And so, yes, he triumphantly entered Jerusalem, knowing that the God who engineered these events with such exactness would be there to help you change your heart for the better also, if you let him. You see, he entered Jerusalem to die for us. And my own journey into understanding who Jesus is, I looked into a lot of other religions. And one thing I couldn't find is is another God that desired to die for his people. Other gods demanded other things, but our God was willing to die for us. And so this act of the triumphal entry and everything that followed is what makes our God king. It's what makes our God worth following. Remember, Jesus wasn't interested in taking over Jerusalem. He was focused on taking over your heart. He was focused on transforming your life. Every time Jesus shows up, a response is required. He showed up at the beginning of his earthly ministry, and he spoke to some common men, a tax collector, fishermen. And they left their jobs, and they followed him. As he he went around preaching, he showed up. He spoke to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus changed his ways. Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector. He changed his ways, and he even gave money back. He showed up. He talked to a woman at the well, and her response was that she went and shared with her community what he had shared with her. He showed up. He encounters a, a man. Was, we call him the Gerasene demoniac. He was the man who was in the cemetery, who was naked and had broken chains and was cutting himself. And he he cast the demons out of him. And the man's response was, he came to Jesus and said, "Let me go with you." And Jesus said, "No." Go tell people what's happened to you. And I like to think that he became like the first missionary because he went back where he came from, and he said, look, I'm in my right mind. This Jesus healed me. Every time there's an encounter with Jesus, there's a response. And so what about you? What's your response to Jesus' triumphal entry? How will you respond to him today in this day of visitation, if you will? Will you submit to him as your Savior King through baptism for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Will you bow before him? Will you ask for prayer and restoration? Maybe that's something that you're in need of right now. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. Will you partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church as we go into our community, as we share Jesus with others? Or will you simply lay down palm branches today only to pick up the nails tomorrow? Whatever your response is this morning, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to God's word accordingly?